welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. And I want to talk to you very quickly tonight about conflict resolution. Because conflict is inevitable. Every one of us has to face conflict. And so I want to talk about that tonight. And I want to blow the notion that as Christians we shouldn't have conflict. That's just not going to happen. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you. Who's that? Suz? It is Suz, isn't it? Have you had a haircut? You have. Pretty observant. Even, even behind me, I, I sense that haircut. And so I want to talk about something that's very real. And instead of us as Christians just putting our head in the sand and saying that this shouldn't be happening, this shouldn't be happening, we're Christians. And instead of all the uh, non-Christians out there just judging Christians, saying you shouldn't be like this and you shouldn't be like that, I want to get very real with you. If you're a Christian in this place, you're welcome. If you're not a Christian in this place, you're welcome. And if you're something in between, you're welcome. If you're an alien from another planet, Welcome. That's it, yeah, sorry, Star, Star Trek, there we go. You're welcome. And so we want to talk about conflict resolution. Everyone say conflict resolution. Because conflict is inevitable, you can't avoid it. It happens in every family, workplace, school, and it even happens in church. And here's the thing I know about conflict. It happens more with those that you are closest to. Have you noticed that? I mean, that guy that cut you off in the car today and gave you the bird out the window, that, that guy, you'll probably never see him again. He'll probably never bother you again. But that person you are living with, you're going to see them tonight and then tomorrow morning and then tomorrow night and then the next morning and then the next night and then the next morning and the next night. So you better know how to resolve conflict. Otherwise, you're in for a miserable life. You really are. Because it's always those that are closest to us that we tend to upset the most. My wife stood up here recently and told a story and exposed me greatly. But I'm going to take that story just a little bit further. Not too long ago, um, we went on a family holiday. But as with most family holidays, um, by the time you get your holiday, you really need a holiday. You're probably three weeks uh, too late for your holiday. And I'll never forget this particular holiday. We went over to Sydney as a family. And on the second day of our holiday, I decided it was a beautiful day. Let's go to Bondi Beach. And so we packed up the car and we went to Bondi Beach. I love Bondi Beach. I love any beach. I just love the sun. I love the sand. I love the surf. I love the beach. I love it. I really do. It's awesome. And so there we were, you know, found our little patch and uh, kind of pitched our little umbrella and uh, got my towel out. Uh, got, got the refoil out, as you do on Bondi Beach. And, and I just thought, you know, I'm just going to relax. Kids go and play. Further away, the better. Just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to calm down and get, just, just slip stream into my holidays. Anyone else had that brilliant idea? And so there I was, just all, all ready to go. And I want to tell you, it was awesome for five minutes. For five minutes, I was... I was feeling the sun on my body. I was feeling myself being rejuvenated and relaxed and rested and all those wonderful things. Until, everyone say until. And you know what's coming next. Until 
the kids started. Here got sand in my eye. I don't like the beach. I don't like the salt water. It's him. I got a sore on my leg and the salt water's making it sting. And, and it was going on and on and on. And they were running around me. And I was becoming, fast becoming a sand monster. And I, and I tried my best to stay calm. I said, kids, go away and play. Go away and play. Just stay away from dad and, and just go. I was tired. I just needed some time. I love you, but just not today. Just, just go and play. And uh, I knew I was in good hands because I've seen Bondi Rescue. They, they, they're in good hands. No matter what, they're in good hands. I can afford to shut my eyes. They're in good hands. Those boys in blue, they'll look after the kids, no problem. And, and then, you know, and I kind of giving the look to my wife, like, look after the kids. And she's like, well, you look after the kids. I'm like, you look after the kids. And we're both having this suntan off. Like, no, no, no. Because every time Kath and I go on holidays, it's like, who can get the darkest the quickest? And someone's like, no, no, you go. No, you go. And so then, then it just, it, I just, I, to my shame, I'm not proud of this. I, I really am not proud of this. I'm wanting to teach you something today. This is what not to do. Well, I saw red. Because yet again, the kids came, they ran around, sand was everywhere. I was just, you know, unrecognisable by now. I'm just like covered in sand. And I just snapped. I just lost it. And uh, I didn't care who was around me. I didn't care who heard what I had to say. I just let my kids, I let my wife, I let everyone on Bondo Beach know that I was not happy. And I found myself saying this, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know when you're really upset, you don't, you don't say a lot of things that make sense. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How selfish. All I want to do is go to Bondi Beach. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I'm grabbing all this gear. We're going home now. We're going home. And I grab the umbrella and I'm like, I've got it as a weapon now. I'm baiting anybody who wants to say anything at all to me because I'm going to stick this thing where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Did I mention I'm a pastor? <laughs> and I've got the ball under my arm. I've got a bag over my back. I've got a tower on my neck. I've got this umbrella. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. What are you looking at? I can't. You want this? this, this, this. I can't. Be- I mean... And I'm purposely walking around kicking sand. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's not nice, is it? No, it's not nice getting sand all over your body when you just want to sit in the sun. But no, I can't believe it. You think I'm exaggerating. I did that all the way to the car. I mean, there were some big guys I passed. And, and they just didn't want to bar it. They just stayed the heck away. And you know what? Thank God Bondi Rescue was not recording that day. <laughs> but had they been, I would have had something to say to them too. I would have gone up to that camera and I would have said, I can't believe it! I can't believe it! Just give me a real close-up, boys. Really, girls? Real, I can't believe it! I can't. You would have seen that on Channel 9, 7.30. And then me being escorted away in the paddy wagon. (laughs) But here's the amazing thing. We were staying at a friend's house free of charge. They wanted to bless us. They bought me a gym membership. They gave us their car. You think that would make me happy? No, I get in the car. This car that wasn't mine. That they gave me. I get in the car. I slam the door. Not my car. 
I'm driving and I'm hitting the steering wheel. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Did I mention I'm a pastor? We drive all the way home. And guess what I'm saying? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then we get out and I have the shower, get this, you know, sand off me. And then eventually what I've done kicks in. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And from that moment, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do. Do I continue on my merry way, blaming everyone for everything, and justify my position? After all, I've had a busy year. After all, I've, I've, I've worked hard. After all, after all, after all. Or do I make the adjustment, humble myself, and come and take ownership for the thing that I just can't believe I did. And I never forget going up to our kids and calling the family meeting. We've had so many family meetings, it's not funny. It's... And because we've got young kids, I always get down to their level. And I said to the kids and mum, I'm so sorry. What you saw today was unacceptable. It's not your fault. It is totally my fault. I'm so, so sorry. And then I said, will you forgive me for my very poor, very average, very wrong behavior? And of course, they were so gracious and they said yes. I don't know if they were scared not to, but they said yes. <laughs> and I'll never forget, that night we had friends come over. Matt and Jill had up, dr driven up from Canberra to be with us that night. And just when it was all quiet, forgiveness, Mitchie, who was a little bit younger than he is now, he would have been about seven or eight, says, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And to that, this incredible laughter broke out. And it's an amazing thing that this horrible moment ended up being an incredible moment that solidified us as a family, brought us closer together. The Urban Dictionary has redefined the word Bondi. If you look at the Urban Dictionary, you'll see Bondi, to lose your temper. So if, we have a bond, if, if Dad's in a bad mood, it's, 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 he's having a Bondi. So um, I've said that story to say this. It's inevitable. Don't think for one moment that as a Christian, you will be void of all conflict. Don't think that as a pastor, you are void of all conflict. It's inevitable and how we handle it is really, really important. And I want to read a scripture to you found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is Jesus teaching. He's keeping it real. He's setting the bar really low giving everyone, a everyone the opportunity to be able to pass this test. You do not have to be a theologian to pass this test. You do not have to have done four years of Bible school to pass this test. This is just so basic. 
And that's what I love about Jesus. For the most part, he just keeps things really, really simple. And he says, uh, if a believer sins against you, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, which means it's possible that you'll be unsuccessful. I I, I love Jesus. He covers every basis. There's no rose-coloured glasses here. There's no wishful thinking here. He's covering all his bases. If you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you may say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, are you kidding? Really? There's a chance they may still refuse to listen? Yeah. If they still refuse to listen, take the case to the church. If the church decides you are right, but the other person won't accept it, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Conflict is inevitable. We can't always stop it but we can always deal with it. And taking this teaching of Christ and applying it to our life, I want to look at the what, the why, and the how we do conflict resolution. And I know many of you have come for the baptism, and I don't want to take up much of your time, so I want to get straight into this right now. Jesus says, this is what you do. That if somebody does something against you, then go alone. It doesn't say get on Twitter and say, he's an absolute pig. Can't believe what I saw today. He says, go to that person that offended you. Go to that person that wronged you. I'm telling you, if we could just go to the people that are involved in our issues, we could just gain massive ground. We would have so much more energy if we just went to the source. So if somebody wrongs you, if somebody ignores you and that offends you, whatever the case may be, just go to that person instead of going to everyone else. Because if we're honest, that's where we go wrong. We don't go to the person. We go to everyone else but the person. And that person doesn't even know they've done the wrong thing most of the time. And sometimes they haven't even done the wrong thing. It was in your imagination. And now you've perpetuated the problem because 10 other people know about what you got wrong. Does that make sense? So Jesus said, if someone offends you, just go to them. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. And so then Jesus says, if, if you do that and they don't listen... How about you take somebody, a friend, somebody who is for you and for that person as a witness to try to help them see where they went wrong? Again, he didn't say tell everyone, just just one person to be able to come alongside and help this person. Can you imagine if we started doing that every time there was conflict? Can you imagine that taking place in the home? In the business, in the family, in the church. And then it says, if they still don't listen, then bring it before the church. Then bring it before a higher authority. And you can apply that in your business, you can apply that in your workplace, you can apply that in the church. And then it says, if they still don't listen, wipe your hands and have nothing to do with them. Just let them go. 
See, some people just don't know when to let things go. They don't know when to just drop some things. They just keep perpetuating the problem instead of just letting it go. Jesus told a parable, a story about the prodigal son. And he'd had enough of living in his father's house and the good father just let him go. There sometimes you've got to let people go. We often have to counsel parents and they don't know what to do with their kids. Their kids won't abide by the rules and now they're, but they're, but they're adults. And we say, well, just let them go. Oh yeah, but I can't. Yes, you can, just let them go. Let them find out how hard it is without your covering and blessing and no board and no rent. Just, just let them go. That's what Jesus said. But we waste so much time, effort and energy holding on to something, making people our hobby horses, making people our pet projects. We've got to win this. We've got to come to... No, no, no. Jesus said, just let them go. So Jesus said, go to them face to face if they won't listen. Take somebody who's close to help if they won't listen. Bring it to the authorities if they won't listen. Let them go. That can be applied right across the workplace, schoolyard, the home, and in the church. When you think about the Bible being an old book that's just irrelevant, it doesn't, doesn't seem that way when you break it down like this, hey? The purpose of why we do this is always to bring resolution. It's always to win people over. It's always to help. And so if we go to someone and they don't listen, we don't get someone of our mates just to tell them off so that we can be proved right. Our heart should always be that we want to keep the relationship. We want to keep the friendship. We want to sort this thing out. I'm not even saying I'm right, but I, just want, to, I want to have the opportunity to be able to talk about this and I want to be able to sort it out. How many of us go in with that in mind? Actually genuinely wanting to help people and be helped. Because that's the purpose. It's that we may be able to win people over. Some of us are great at winning arguments. We're not great at winning people. Oh, we win all the arguments, but we lose the friendship. And Jesus was great at winning people. He was great at winning people to himself and because he loved them and he cared for them. And he didn't always have to be right. He was just there to help. He was often misunderstood as a result. And so what should we do? We should go to the person face to face. If they still won't listen, we take a friend. If they don't listen, we take it to the authorities. If they're still not prepared to listen, just wipe your hands. Let them go. And who knows? It may get really bad and they may come back repentant that we might be ready to go to them again. Because the heart is always to resolve the conflict and bring resolution and hope. And so how can we do this? Here's some practical things I've just put down. There's more, I'm sure. But when it comes to genuinely wanting to resolve conflict, if that's what we should be doing, well, how can we do it? And so I've got here as my first point in resolving conflict that we need to be a good listener, which is the ability to get good information. You've got to be able to get good information. In other words, you've got to be able to listen to what the other party has to say. 
You know, when you go to that person face to face, it doesn't mean that you are right. When Jesus says, if you have an offence, if someone's caused you an offence, you've got to go to them. He's not saying that you are right. He said, go to them that you might find out what's really going on. And in order for that to happen, we've got to listen. There's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth, that we might listen more and speak less. And listening is the ability to get good information. How many of us, if we're honest, can say we do that on a regular basis? So be a good listener. Secondly, be empathetic. Empathy is the ability to see things from others' point of view. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The reason Jesus was so incredible at helping humanity is that he was able to cross over and see it from their point of view. And to me, this is the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy crosses over and sees it from the poor person's point of view and then just compromises values because they're feeling so deeply for a person. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Empathy is that ability to cross over, feel someone's pain, but still be able to stand your ground to be able to offer help. There's a lot of hurting people and they do a lot of silly things. And we can never condone the silly things that are going on. But we should always be able to empathise and feel because there but for the grace of God got each and every one of us. God forbid we would be a church that just point the finger. The church does not need any more policemen pointing the finger, accusing people of what they're doing wrong. We need to be able to cross over And Jesus had compassion because he saw that they were helpless. They were harassed. There are many fathers struggling to raise their children. And we can get on our high horse and say, that's ridiculous the way you're raising your child. But maybe, just maybe, the dad that's raising the children doesn't know what he's doing because his dad never really taught him how to be a dad. Now that doesn't condone the behaviour but at least this helps us to empathise in order for us to offer help. Are you following me? Thirdly, we've got to be objective and that's the ability to see things as they really are. In John chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Jesus said, stop making judgments by mere appearances, but make a right judgment. People are great at just looking at a situation and making a judgment without finding and investigating what's really happening. Jesus didn't say you shouldn't judge. He just said you shouldn't make judgments based upon appearance. You should stop and make a right judgment. And in order to do that, you've got to listen and you've got to be empathetic because it's not your truth that's going to set you free. It's the truth. See, your truth, this could be true for you, I'm hurt. But your truth, I'm hurt, isn't going to set you free. You've got to get to the root issue of your problem. It's true that I'm hurt, but what's the truth behind why you're hurt? Somebody may be upset with you 
that's true. But what's the truth behind why they're really upset? And Jesus was just brilliant at getting to the root issue in people's lives. And I believe we've got to do the same as well. Otherwise, we'll never truly resolve conflict. We'll just be peacekeepers and not peacemakers. There's nothing worse than seeing hubby and wifey trying to keep the peace. And they haven't dealt with the issue. Sometimes in order to get peace, make peace, there has to be a little bit of war. You've got to, you've got to explore certain areas. And those areas that need exploring are going to cause a whole heap of pain and hurt. But it's worth it because at the end of it is going to be genuine peace. Have you ever had a Christmas dinner? We've got Christmas coming just around the corner. And families everywhere are going to be keeping the peace. And families are going to get together in their little huddles and say, when we go around auntie so-and-so's, remember, this is what we're not allowed to talk about. Please, for God's sake, kids, don't mention the car. Don't mention the broken wall. Don't mention what happened five years ago. And so everyone's on eggshells. They come around. Tis the season to be jolly. And the kids are filled with all these things that they're not allowed to say and not allowed to bring up. Don't mention the war. And so everyone's tense because we're just trying to keep the peace. And we're not called to keep the peace, we're called to make peace. In order to make peace, you need truth. So let's be objective. Fourthly, let's be assertive. That's the ability to give good information. In other words, we need to tell people how it is for us. Clearly. Don't have to go on forever. But just be clear about how it is for you. And so if you were hurt because someone said something, it doesn't mean that they meant to hurt you. It may mean that they don't know you well enough and your background well enough. And so if somebody hurt you, I would extend them the benefit of the doubt. This is how I would do it. I would extend the benefit of the doubt. And I would say, I want you to know when you said that, that upset me. And it's not your fault, but what you need to know about me and my background is that I have this, this and this going on. And when you said that, because of my background, it triggered something in me. And just be really clear about that. This is not hard. And we can resolve conflict, we can move on, and we can just have a great life. We've also got to be flexible, and that's a willingness to explore possible solutions. See, it's not a one-size-fits-all world. Can you imagine someone stumbling in here? And I would have loved to act it out because he got says all dressed up and, and stumbles in here and, and, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's drunk. And he's just shouting out a whole heap of things against me, against the church, against whatever. I wonder what would be the first thought in our heart. How dare you come into the house of God? How dare, how... But this is what I know about alcohol abuse. While the effect on a body may be the same when you drink too much, the reason why people pick up a bottle in the first place can be oh so different. 
And if we just tar every alcoholic with the same brush, we're going to miss an opportunity to be able to help that person. Because someone could stumble in drunk because they're an alcoholic and that's all they've known. They've been drinking since the age of six because their dad gave them alcohol at that age and they just acquired a taste for it and they've been drinking ever since. And now they're at 26 years of age and they've been addicted to this substance for 20 years. Have you thought about that? Or maybe, just maybe, there's a man, he's never touched alcohol in his life, but he's just lost his whole family in a car accident. And the only way he could deal with the hurt and the pain is to numb every sense and every thought and every feeling that he has. And so he's drunken himself into a stupor and and he comes in looking for help. We've got to be willing to explore the possibilities of why people are doing what they do. Parents, listen to me. Your kids will get into trouble of all sorts. That's a given. That, that's, if, the, if you look at the word kid in the original Greek, it means trouble. Kids have a knack of getting into trouble. It doesn't take much discernment from a parent to say, you got in trouble. That's easy. The hard bit, the skillful bit is finding out why. Why? I've told this story many times that when I was 12 years of age, I got caught shoplifting and I felt really bad about that and I was in tears and, and uh, my mum said this, you wait till your father gets home. And I did, I waited and I waited and I waited and, and I just, the, the thought of dad coming home just got bigger and bigger and bigger in my mind and, and so when he came home, I was just in tears and, and mum looked at me and said, tell your father what you did today and I said, dad, and I was in tears I said, I, I got caught shoplifting, I stole some chewy and, and da 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 And I just thought I was going to get the hiding of my life. And Dad looked at me in my brokenness. Get this. He was willing to explore the possibilities and be flexible. And he just looked at me and said, Tony. And I'm like, I mean, I've got the, you know, the pillow (laughs) down the pants. That was when it was okay to smack your child. And we turned out all right. And I'm just like, And he says, Tony, you should have been quicker. (laughs) And I'll never forget as a 12-year-old learning something. That here's a man who was willing to overlook how my behavior reflected on his parenting. And so he didn't take his anger out on me based upon how I made him look. And he was able to look into the situation... And bring resolution to the tension, the conflict that was in the house by being willing to be flexible and explore different options and find a solution that was fitting for the situation. And that taught me something. That day I learnt what unconditional love was. And and when I saw the scriptures and I I started reading about a God who offers unconditional love, I said, well, that's what my dad did. And I started to realize, hang on, it's my dad who, who who's professes Christ. And, and he was able to do that because he has this God who has unconditional love in him. So he was able to offer that same unconditional love. Now, he wasn't condoning for one moment that I go around stealing. But he was just meeting me at my point of brokenness. And he was willing to be, look beyond how I made him look as a parent 
And let's be honest, parents. We tell our kids off a lot because of how they make us look, if we're honest. And we perpetuate the conflict. And we never resolve it. But he was willing to look beyond how it made him look and give me what I needed. And peace came. And then he sat me down and we talked. And we had a great opportunity just to grow together. Can I just say this? That if we would be willing to do this, something miraculous would take place. God would begin to take our mistakes and because of the godly process that we put in place, we will find that when we are through it, that we are better off for the mistake than if it never happened in the first place. And that's what it means when the Bible says that God is working all things together for the good, even our mistakes, even our mistakes for those that are called according to his purpose. This is the greatness of our God, that he can take our brokenness, he can take our mistakes, he can take a moment like Bondi and use it as a teaching. He can use it as a moment to bring our family closer together. He can use it as an opportunity to bring this church closer together. He can use it to help. I kind of see this picture when I was in the midst of my anger on Bondi. The devil's rubbing his hands together. Thinking, this is awesome. Pastor loses it on Bondi. But he's getting all excited about the headlines that could be. And because of a willingness to apply biblical principles, the family not only forgives, but we are closer. And I, think, I, I see the devil scratching his head saying, what just happened? I've worked with my brother on staff ever since we started this church. Now, you better believe that working with your brother doesn't mean it's always going to go well. It doesn't mean it's going to be peace all the time. But what I thank God for in Pete's life and my relationship with him is that although it's had its conflict, and many times, I'll be honest, we are closer today, our relationship is stronger today, because of what I've taught you in this place tonight. And so, and so this isn't just a theory. This isn't just a nice little teaching. This is a life message of mine. I'm committed to resolving things. And I want to be a church that's committed to resolving issues. If we could resolve issues, I believe the divorce rate would go down. I believe the security in the family, and the peace and the joy in the family would go up. I really do believe that. My dad said, we could have many arguments as a family, but we're always going to solve them. And solve them we did. No matter how many punch-ups Pete and I had. We seem to have more punch-ups than with Baz. I don't know, little Baz. I, I don't know, he just seemed to miss out. on. We, we teased him lots, don't get me wrong, but we didn't seem to punch him much. But I remember some of the punch-ups me and Pete had. and We'd literally be punching the heck out of each other, grabbing each other, wrestling, rolling off the bed onto the floor. And just... I usually lost... 
because Pete was such a bully. And Dad had let it go and let it go and let it go and think, okay, now I'm going to intervene. I'm like, you could have come in earlier. <laughs> I said, all right, pack it in, you two. And we just split us up. Send us to our rooms to cool off. Not as punishment. Sending you to your room is not punishment. It's time to think. You meant to think about what you've been doing. And invariably, 15 minutes, maybe half an hour, depending on how hot-headed we were, he'd get us together. He says, I want you to look at each other in the eye. Say sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Because that's the gospel. It's not enough just to say sorry. It's, I'm sorry, Pete. Will you forgive me? And then he'd say, Tell him you love him. See, this is how we grew up. I said, I love you, Pete. Now give him a hug. In this church, there's going to be many arguments. In this church, there's going to be many opportunities to get really ticked off. Just take the rose-colored glasses off tonight, smash them, throw them away. There's going to be conflict in church. There's going to be conflict in your family. That woman, that young girl that you're just smitten. I mean, Aiden, Sarah. I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. Seriously, I'm happy for you. I love the thought that young couples getting together, getting married. That's awesome. That deserves a round of applause. But you know what? There's something all us married couples know that you don't yet know. (laughs) You're in for the time of your life. You're going to have many arguments. You say, no, we'll never, we won't. We love each other too much. We will never argue. We're not like you, Tony. You're an angry man. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. But even the least angry person in this place is not that peaceful. Even Matt and Stacey, I know, I know, I know. Stacey's fault, uh uh-huh, yep. Happens. But you know what I also know? If you'll apply the principles in the Word of God and say sorry, ask for forgiveness, say I love you, give each other a hug, That will lead to something that will keep your marriage together forever. It's awesome. And I want us to be a mature church that can take this teaching and apply it to our lives. And if I know anything about the way God moves, He's going to give us opportunity this week to put into practice the Word of God. I prophesy and pray and hope to God that something happens in your world this week that will give you the opportunity to put this teaching into practice. That's how much I love you. See, Christians aren't perfect. And it doesn't mean as Christians we're always going to 
get it right and it's always going to be easy. But it means that we have one to go to for help, strength and the answer. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.